You're listening to the ANA Podcast Network, powered by Odyssey, a leading multi-platform audio content and entertainment company. Listen on the Odyssey app. For Beyond Profit, a podcast of the ANA Center for Brand Purpose, I'm Ken Bolio. The competitive race for talent has reached a seminal point in the U.S. No longer is the promise of a good starting salary with benefits and opportunities for advancement enough to satisfy a growing number of job seekers. Even the expectations of the gainfully employed are higher than ever, causing many businesses to reconsider well-established talent management practices. While the COVID-19 pandemic forever changed the future of work, employee needs and wants, fueled by a sense of purpose in their lives and careers, have changed dramatically as well. Today's workforce places a premium on when, where, and how they work, the diversity and inclusiveness of a business, and how it improves lives, local communities, and the world all around. The fundamental shift in workforce mentality has had a direct impact on the marketing and advertising industry's ability to attract and retain top-end diverse talent. And with talent challenges increasing, companies are left scrambling for answers and a way forward. To discuss the critical issues at hand and how to win the war on talent, I am joined by two guests, Ashley Miles, founder and CEO of Franklin West, a business growth collective and execution firm shaping the future of work in the growing on-demand economy, and Marissa Thalberg, a transformational marketing leader, one of only 19 people to be inducted into the Forbes CMO Hall of Fame. She has worked across industries, including beauty, QSR, retail, and theme parks. Thank you both for joining me for this important discussion. Thank you, Ken. We're excited to be here. So as you know, the pandemic changed how we work, who we want to work for and with, and what meaning we desire from work. So I'm hoping each of you can share your honest assessment about whether this transformation was exactly what business needed. So Ashley, I'd like to start with you. Ken, you know, to be Frank, change is hard. We know that, you know, change is hard, but change and uh, embracing change and experimentation is absolutely 100% required to grow. So the challenges that happened through COVID, these new things that came up within our, our companies was absolutely challenging, but absolutely important to propel us into a new way of working and living. And I see it all as a very positive forcing function. The way that we uh, are seeing employees and the liquid talent, the rising freelance economy and what's happening there really want to align to companies that have a big, bold, ambitious picture of the future, that have established differentiated values, principles that they don't just talk about, but they live by both within their organizations as well as externally. Three, we're seeing you know, employees and the consulting economy really looking to build portfolio careers. So you know, instead of staying at one company for five years, 10 years, 20 years, they're looking to build a portfolio of work that lights them up, that aligns with their skill sets, that aligns with their values, that aligns with their purpose. So again, even though we were all faced with so many obstacles during COVID that required us to change, I do see it as a forcing function for good. Mm-hmm. Marissa. 
Yeah, I would just add that I would re-articulate the tense of how you frame the question that it was a transformation like it happened and it's done because I think it is very much an ongoing thing. COVID obviously was a completely involuntary, unexpected and utterly disruptive kind of transformation that no company was really prepared for, just like no one in the world was really truly prepared for a global pandemic. So decisions were made. And I think ultimately every company tried to do their best. You had some companies that business-wise actually benefited from the new conditions that that circumstance created. For example, I was the chief brand and marketing officer of Lowe's Home Improvement at the time. This was a time of profound focus on home. So on the one hand, we were dealing with one set of challenges, but still with all the same questions of where are your employees right now and how do you manage this? And if you have associates who are actually in a retail environment out in the physical world, still dealing front lines with customers, same with like healthcare workers, what does that mean for those who are corporate executives? You had other businesses, of course, that were profoundly impacted for the negative being shut down almost. Um, So now we're coming out of that and I don't think really anyone knows yet what the real post-COVID run rate of the business is. That's my observation because it's just been kind of this, you know, roller coaster of of demand, supply, overlay to the economy. And at the same time, you have all this, we want to get back to normal as it pertains to working conditions, but arguably, what is that now? And I think you see some companies really trying to manage it with empathy and other companies who've frankly made some false steps in how they've said, don't worry, you can all be remote and people have moved there. And then it said, you have a month to come back. And that's really, really challenging. So again, as tired as this word is, it is unprecedented. And so clearly no one has a perfect guidebook for it. But I think it's really clear that this is a moment where companies are going to engender loyalty and a sense of connection with their associates or risk the opposite. And we're still watching that play out. So, Marissa, in light of the ongoing transformation, how do companies need to react? Do they just need to be malleable in nature? I mean, how do you how do you prepare for all the ongoing change? It's a bit like you mentioned, I think, uh, the economy you know, there's a potential of a recession out there and and who knows what's going to follow that. So, you know, what's, what's your message to leaders of businesses? Well, I, I always believe as a personal default, as a leader that you try to speak with a reasonable amount of authenticity and credibility and bring your associates along as opposed to just handing down decisions like we're cutting a budget or we're doing this. If you don't make people feel part of the understanding of the why and allow people to participate to the extent that it's reasonable in the problem solving, you have um, a, you know, a a risk with an employee population that just feels confused, scared, Mm -hmm. angry. And I'm not saying that all leadership is fully democratized. Of course, it's not, but that there's a difference between full democratization of decision-making and bringing people along. And I think the latter is really, really important. I have to agree completely with Marissa on the importance now more than ever to bring employees along early in the business planning process and ideating on the bold picture of the future. What are our values? Might we redefine our values together? So really bringing all levels of the organization into the planning process, into 
you know, really defining the future of the company very early on so that they are a part of the process, that this company feels like their own and something that they want to actually invest in. So let's build on that, Ashley. Um, We know for a fact that the power, or at least it had been, was shifting from the employers to employees. So what will it take beyond what you just said to attract and retain the best talent? Well, I think I saw a recent stat where in the next year, there will be more freelance talent out there than there are full-time employees. Mm. Is that not unbelievable? Mm. So, you know, three years ago, what's really why I launched Franklin West is having the foresight into this freelance economy, but really how do we align people's great strengths and skills to specific company problems? Because you have a couple of things happening right now. You have the rise of this freelance economy. You have CEOs, especially Fortune 500 CEOs, faced with on-demand growth needs that come up every day. Every day looks different. What does AI mean for my company? What does upskilling look like for my marketing organization? There's something new every day, and you can't just hire full-time employees every time something new comes up. You also have traditional firms that are great at long-term strategy and planning, but maybe not equipped to solve those real-time problems as they come up. So I see a real opportunity to bring all of this together, to really bridge the gap, which benefits both employees or freelancers, as well as companies in terms of solving those on-demand growth opportunities. Because what we know is when you align talent with work that they are proud of and confident in that matches their skills, where they can build a portfolio of work that's specific to their strengths, everyone wins. Now, when you look at full-time employees, one of their great passions right now is learning and development and upskilling. They want to align the four key things we're seeing, they want to align with companies that have a bold vision that are confident to relentlessly drive that vision into action. Does this company align with my values? And are they distinct values? Are they interesting? Are they differentiated, not just standard HR values? Is this specific work going to align with my portfolio of work that I'm building, right? Because that's changing. And then four, am I? is there continuous learning and development happening? So I see an opportunity with this, you know, bridging the gap that we're both upskilling full-time talent and keeping it interesting for them, as well as helping freelancers build a portfolio of work that they're proud of. So super dynamic and interesting time. Uh, and I think for CEOs, it's all about being open to new models and new ways of collaboration, knowing that the old ways are really out the door. It's all about the new and the way forward. Marissa. What I've seen as it pertains to this talent conversation is you're always in some wrestling of insourcing versus outsourcing and how do you balance that? Um, No matter how resource rich you are, there's always pressure on your GNA in terms of how big your staff should be. So if you're cutting there, then what are you doing? Even if arguably, if you did the math, it might be cheaper, frankly, to have the full-time employees. So how do you have this appropriate and 
you know, somewhat changing dance between your your staff team and your external sources. And I think what Ashley's done with Franklin West to me is very indicative of looking for um, new external resources that aren't heavy um, in terms of what the commitment, the budget, all that is, because we all need as leaders inside a company agility and you want to manage your risk in trying something new, both trying something new with a partner, but also trying something new in the work. Mm -hmm. So how do you do that and engage with someone that you can trust without it being just a slew of freelancers that becomes unmanageable too? Uh, It's kind of like the crater economy, right? I mean, it's amazing, but we also need people to help us manage that. So I think the exciting part of what we're talking about is that there are more options and there are more models, but as an internal leader, it can become potentially chaotic. So the question is, how do you get to tap into all that good energy and allow yourself to experiment and have agility without completely blowing the wad? Hopefully unlocking something really good that makes your internal team feel as great as as your fellow stakeholders and Minimize the financial risk while you do it because experimentation inherently always has some risk. But if you never take any risks, you never go anywhere. Right. So that's that's kind of the the dance of where we are right now. I think it's really interesting. I think, you know, my advice for agencies or consultancies like myself or, and others is with all of this incredible creative talent, freelance talent, you have to have a very strong internal infrastructure operations and project management to ensure that the corporations you're working with are having ease of execution. They have one point of contact. They, you know, the different at Franklin West, we have the different ambassadors that report into that larger client lead who's the day-to-day. So I think it's all about being easy to work with as you're bringing all of this talent within these organizations in this more flexible format. The operations and project management is key. So studies show that younger generations want to work for organizations that share their sense of purpose. We've mentioned that and uh, align with their values. And actually, you mentioned that. So that has led to more companies to embrace a quote unquote woke agenda, which we hear about or socially progressive causes. Is this the future of business or a hot potato. And um, Marissa, I'll start with you. Yeah, I'll take that because I would really love to pick apart that question a little bit. Sure. Especially, and this is something that I know um, I'm going to talk about on my new podcast, Brand New, with my partner, Stephen Wolf Pereira, because I think there's something really interesting about the rebranding of the word woke. Mm-hmm. And what that conjures. So I I would not make purpose and woke the same thing. They're not necessarily. But what I would also further differentiate is I think there's believing in the purpose of a company and then what is the culture of the company. And sometimes those two things aren't equally strong. And then that becomes an interesting reality check when you're on the inside. And of course, everyone defines what they want from a culture a little bit differently. It might be you know, who you are, what age you are, where, what your values are. But I think the idea of believing that a company has a greater, like what's its place in the world? That to me is what you answer the purpose part. Why does this brand company business service exist? And how does it contribute to our lives in some way? And it doesn't always, and that's why I want to be careful that I don't think it all has to serve 
what fairly or not we might be categorizing as a woke agenda. Serving, remember Zappos, the original purpose was delivering happiness. I mean, that that was that was really interesting purpose statement. And I think we saw back then, I'm trying to pick an old example to keep it not, <laughs> not too political actually in the current times. But that was a great example of employees at the time really got behind that. And then sequentially to that or concurrently to that, what's the culture then in the organization? And do you enjoy being there? Do you feel recognized? Do you feel appreciated? Is there time for levity and for fun and for collaboration and camaraderie? That's the culture piece. So I think both of these things are really important and they're not, they should have a real um, interplay, but they're actually distinct. Ashley. First of all, could not agree with Marissa anymore. You know, it may it makes so much sense. I think I want to take this back to basics because I think we're all getting carried away with woke agenda and leaning too much into social issues that might not even relate to your company and your vision for your company. So there's a huge disconnect there. So it's there's a lot of watchouts there. I think on this one, we have to get back to basics and be super clear as a company on what is our vision? Who are we as a company? What do we stand for? And again, what are the distinct values that are differentiated to us that have gravity, that are important, that we live by internally as well as externally? And there can't be a disconnect there or you face a real challenge externally. So for me, it's getting back to basics understanding and clearly aligning and articulating who we are as a company, who do we want to be in this world externally? What are the values that back that, that them up? And how are we holding ourselves accountable at the leadership level, all the way to an entry level employee or an outside consultant that needs to align with those values? In fact, one exercise we did at Franklin West was this past year, we're three years in business. We overhauled our values. You know, we re-examined, are we the same company three years ago? We set this bold picture. Are we still heading in that direction? Do we need to re-examine who we are in this world? And by doing that, we overhauled our values. And they went from more basic values to some pretty interesting ones like Swiss Army Knife personalization unreasonable hospitality, you know, uh, rapid problem solving. And when you present those core values to the outside consultants we're interviewing on a daily basis or the companies we choose to do business with, you'll find some people will opt out to say, I love this. It's just not me. I am not, I want a more traditional agency role or I want to work in-house. So I think when you're super clear on who you are as a company, what your distinct values are, and you express them out into the world and hold yourself accountable to them, or if you become more discerning with the companies you work with, the people you hire, uh, et cetera. But I'd argue the bigger you are as a company, the harder it is, because the further and further away your base of, of employees, associates get from the voice of leadership and less leadership makes a big point of making that communication gap bridged. So you might be having these C-suite conversations here, but if you're not really communicating that, 
through your whole employee and population, it's, it could be just a little bit of an academic exercise. So you're saying ongoing communication and connection at all levels within the company to really make all of this stick is key. Yeah. And it's really hard because it takes alignment at the top. It's not, you know, it starts with the CEO, but it takes alignment from the whole leadership team and the commitment to make that a priority. And you know what, I always try to approach when things aren't ideal, which they rarely, if ever are, (laughs) we all feel our frustrations for that. And then I try to think with empathy, well, why not? And, you know, business is really hard and we're all running in this frantic pace that business has taken on to just deal with the day-to-day and fight the fire drills. And so sometimes these things just get a little sidelined because they feel, relatively speaking, a bit like a luxury compared to just contending with, as I said, the day-to-day pressures of the business. But it is important to attention, to employee motivation and performance. And those things, of course, all really do have serious implications on the bottom line. Hello, Beyond Profit listener. This podcast is just one of the many resources offered through the award-winning ANA Center for Brand Purpose. There, you will also find a social purpose assessment tool to see how deeply purpose is ingrained in your organization, as well as a series of playbooks, articles, podcasts, videos, and more. Become a more knowledgeable and purposeful marketer by visiting ana.net slash purpose-driven. That's ana.net slash purpose-driven. And now, back to the show. I'm speaking today with Ashley Miles, founder and CEO of Franklin West, and Marissa Thalberg, a transformational marketing leader. Marissa, you've worked for several large and diverse organizations throughout your great career. Can you just talk a little bit about the importance of elevating the employee experience where everyone feels a strong sense of belonging, inclusion, and purpose? I'm trying to think of some of the best examples that I've seen and I've learned from them and I've tried to take the best of them with me. I think The best companies that I've worked for in this regard had a strong recognition culture. Sometimes it's really not the big glitzy gestures, but a recognition culture where you just, you provide recognition to people or what I think has actually been really positive was when you let other people have a forum for recognizing each other. So this is something that Gosh, I know we did when I was at Taco Bell. And then interestingly, at Lowe's, when I was there through a huge part of my tenure was during the pandemic. And so I'm onboarding a team and trying to change everything when I'm, you know, two, 3,000 miles away, I hadn't even moved yet. Everything's on Teams or Zoom. And I think um, one of the things that I found kind of worked strangely, maybe even better on video, I hate to say, than in a doing running a department meeting in real life where people would applaud or maybe raise their hand, but it wasn't as participatory as uh, my team started really using the chat feature to shout each other out as someone was presenting in a way that you'd never interrupt a presentation in a more traditional in-person meeting. And so I'm, I'm deliberately picking something small because sometimes we overlook the small gestures, but I just felt like there was an energy to that little gesture of allowing people to compliment each other, thank each other, just made you feel like a team, even when we have this big digital divide of screens as opposed to the 
you know, the intimacy of being physically together. So sometimes it can be small gestures all the way up to, I mean, I will say during my years at Taco Bell, there were some things that I've never experienced quite like this in my career, like the way we celebrated Halloween at Taco Bell was it was like nothing I had ever experienced and it, people like competed and it, I mean, it was, it was, it was a holiday and um, boy, I mean, I really look back at that with a certain amount of fondness and having come from New York, totally different industry was so different for me, but it really was this iconic part of the culture. So I don't know how you replicate that. And I don't know that you do because I think every company has to find its own thing, but the hard part is when you just don't feel the culture at all. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that that is the case as well. And then what do you do? What do you do about that? And just to add to where we are with work today and the fact that we have people all over the place still, how do you, yeah, I think this is a really, rather than just insisting everyone come back, I think this is about thinking about how you create culture in new models of work. To Marissa's point, it's about the big and small wins. Right. I think we build sustainable culture. We talked about values, but when teams feel like they're winning, right? So really putting initiatives out into the world internally as well as externally that help our teams feel like winners, you know, and really celebrating those wins and continuing to grow and develop and build upon those wins creates a sustainable culture. Terrific. Marissa, I want to go back to you. A recent diversity study by the ANA found that 61% of marketers are white, 58% are female. What will it take to achieve true diversity and inclusion throughout marketing's talent pool? Well, having been a champion for women in work all the way back to my founding an organization called Executive Moms 20 years ago, frightening. I'll tell you something that's a really encouraging statistic, but I also am pretty darn sure that if you dug into that st- uh, that statistic of, of women as a percent of the marketing population by level, it thins out a lot more at the top. So I'd be careful about not uh, waving any big victory flags around that in terms of women in marketing roles, because when you get further and further up, there's still a gender divide. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's definitely a gender divide still in the C-suite, no question. But in general, I think a balanced, you know, that's basically a 50-50 split on gendered marketing. That's a good thing. In terms of the whiteness, look, this is not a new statistic, although it's another verifying one that we have to We have to care about different voices being at the table. And why? Because this is something I've given a lot of thought about. Diversity should not be to check a scorecard, which, by the way, in some cases, it now is in companies. So then you're sort of chasing metrics. And I I fear that what happens is we lose the why. And the why for diversity is really important, especially when you think about marketing, but really any function is what diversity should represent in its best sense is diverse life perspectives, life experiences and points of view. And there's plenty of data that suggests that when you actually and actively engage in real conversation, allow people to bring their different perspectives to the table, the work gets better. So 
of course, there is a function of making sure we're lifting people up and we're giving groups that maybe haven't had the same advantages to get in the door, to get in the door. But once that happens, it's really about making sure that we tap into what the real value of diversity is, which is we allow ourselves to think more expansively and that in turn makes our work better. Ashley, would you like to weigh in on that? Love to hear your perspective I'm, I'm from an agency passionate. perspective. Yeah. Yes, I'm very passionate about this as past president of New York Women in Communications. We launched the Women Heard Initiative to address the dramatic departure from women from the workforce due to COVID-19. New York Wiki is doing incredible work on this front. I've brought this thinking within my own uh, consultancy around, you know, are we bringing the most diverse freelance talent to the table beyond, you know, ethnicity uh, and race, but thinking about skill set, backgrounds, different industries. And Marissa and I've done great work together on this front where when you bring diverse talent, interesting, expansive thinking within a company, with outside thinking, you when you bring the brightest minds together, inside and outside an organization to tackle new problems. It is amazing how those teams outperform traditional teams stuck in silos at major corporations, right? You're giving people the opportunity and the confidence to think and collaborate and bring their backgrounds and, and, and skill sets to the forefront to accelerate growth. So I'm all about this. I think if we're not thinking in new ways about diversity and inclusion, which also includes skill sets, different industries and perspectives to the table, then we're not relevant. Ashley, is turnover within the agency world accelerating? Are you seeing that? So look, our model is so different because we're 100% liquid talent. Or as we say, we have a scalable expertise on demand model. So all of our talent, we don't have full-time employees. Every project is personalized talent to specific company needs and those company values. So we might have a freelancer who matches from a skill set perspective, but maybe their values don't align with this specific company. So it's not a fit. So we believe in hyper-personalization because corporations, successful corporations have their tried and true full-time employees, and that's not going away. But when you're talking about bringing in outside experts, it has to be so personalized to the need for it to be effective. So we're seeing, you know, a growing ambassador network. We're seeing a growing demand of projects coming in, but What's key for agencies like ours is making the right matches, right? Because when you can match the right talent to a specific company need and, you know, value system within the company, you're wildly successful. But if agencies are force-fitting their own full-time employees on projects where it doesn't make 100% sense, it's not going to be successful. Uh, so I would encourage agencies to get more creative with their models, you know, to be more fluid and agile in terms of how they're deploying talent within major corporations, uh, and they'll, you know, have a lot more success. Let's now transition to the next generation of talent. Marissa, I'll start with you. Do you believe college students see marketing as a meaningful career? And if not, how does the industry change that perception? 
I mean, I don't know that I can answer that. It's such a generalization. I don't know what all mm-hmm. college students think, but I'll tell you, I have a a recent college grad in my own family and one who's a senior in high school and thinking ahead. And I do see across them and some of their friends and peers, a lot of interest in it. And I think it stems from the things that always got me excited about this career. It's a really, at its best, you get to be at this interplay of of business, of course, strategy, human psychology, and culture. And for me, that's always been what has drawn me to it. The pop culture mixed with like the complexity of what we do is really interesting. So I think the answer is yes. I think the challenge is more once they get on the inside of it and see what the world is today, are they equally enchanted? Are they more enchanted or disenchanted? And that's a real question because the job's really, really different now. And um, I mean, I just don't want to be trite in repeating all the things that we probably talk about all the time, but the complexity of data and technology and are we devaluing creativity and you know, how, how do you do this job really well in constrained environments? I'd argue it's never been harder, but I also am fundamentally an optimist and believe this role is needed more than ever in such a fragmented world and good storytelling still can win. So you just have to figure out how to deploy it in all the right ways. So there's a lot of different forms of expertise now in the function than perhaps we ever had in the past. If you're smart, you see that as opportunity. I think, frankly, we as marketers have a bit of a marketing problem about marketing to ourselves, to our our C-suite peers, and who knows, maybe to rising generations to come. So that should be that should be pretty high on our agenda, on the ANA's agenda, on other trade groups' agendas. We got to start talking about this in the right ways. Get yeah. rid of things like brand versus performance that have screwed us. And just uh, get people to appreciate the craft that goes along with all the supporting technology. And I do think the key is supporting. I couldn't agree with Marissa more. You know, I spend a lot of time with young people. It's where I get my energy uh, and inspiration. Recently did the commencement speech at Ole Miss. And before that, spent so much time asking them questions. How are you feeling about media, advertising, marketing? We've onboarded a lot of students into our ambassador network because we're so inspired by them. However, I want to agree with Marissa in that the enthusiasm I'm hearing and seeing from college students looking to enter our industry uh, is so high. They are so intrigued, especially with social media and what they experience on TikTok and Instagram, Twitter, that I challenge us to step up and really meet those expectations, right? They have high expectations. They're excited to contribute. But when they enter your company, what does that experience look like? Because they are super enthusiastic, right? So I think it's an opportunity to source inspiration and optimism from this generation. So Marissa, going back to you, how do you build that passion for marketing? Like you said, it's an issue. you've, you've You've said it here today. How how does the marketing community come together with passion for, for the profession? Well, I think it's important that when we do gather as an industry, and there are certainly all different forums for that, 
that we don't just talk at each other with case studies, that we talk about what really matters. And we talk about um, what do we as leaders want to do to improve the state of the industry? What, what are those seminal issues? Like, are we going to really help organizations understand the value of creativity? Are we going to think about what it takes to be culture leaders within our organizations. I don't think that's the exclusive domain of HR, for example. So I think that's where it starts is actually investing when we come together as leaders to think about how do we create a shared agenda for some of these things and not just only talk about the work because we all learn from the work and the case studies, but I think we what we really learn from is talking about what the pain points are and what we're struggling with. And there is a value in the shared experience of that because our jobs are really, really hard and often really misunderstood. I think that's why, interestingly, the marketing community has one of the most vibrant communities of any C-suite function I know of. So that's the great news is it's really good community. Just have to use our power to organize a little bit more on these issues and then figure out what that means when we do bring it back to our own companies. Because in reality, you go back to your company and you're back in your company with its own set of problems and politics and stressors and and ability to tackle some of these things it's it's contingent but when there's a greater power out there it it will i think make some of these problems drive to solutions a little bit more quickly than if we're all just trying to tackle them individualistically so my final question is for ashley as i'm sure you're aware baby boomers are retiring in droves what makes you feel optimistic about the future workplace in talent management Ken, I am wildly optimistic about the future of work and just the Fortune 500 companies, CEOs we're working with. I've never in my career seen such an openness to new models, new talent models, new ways of collaboration, just infusing new thinking in this experimentation that's happening. It is an exciting time to be in business. And you know, I've experienced that firsthand. Marissa and I go way back, working together on and off for nearly 20 years. And her openness to embracing new ways of working to achieve help companies achieve success. So I think, you know, times of change means times of reinvention and infusing, you know, innovative solutions within our companies, but we have to be open. And we have to be agile and creative in how we show up for our companies. And I see a lot of that happening. I think it's a it's an exciting time, but we have to be willing to embrace change. Ashley Miles, Marissa Thalberg, thank you so much for joining me on Beyond Profit. Thank you for having us. Thank you, thank you. If you would like to add your perspective on the talent war, please email me at brandpurpose at ANA.net. That's brandpurpose at ANA.net. Until next time, thanks for listening. This has been a presentation of the ANA Podcast Network, powered by Odyssey.